there, and welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hey folks, so welcome to an episode of the 1% Better Podcast with me, Rob O'Donoghue. In this episode, I interview Andrew Mangan. I am extremely excited about sharing this episode. Andrew Mangan, as you'll hear in my introduction, is multi-talented. He's a podcaster, a blogger, voiceover artist, so many other things that you'll get into during the show. But I guess for me, Andrew is one of the reasons I got into trying to put together a podcast. He has been running a podcast called Arscast for the last 10 years, which currently has over, I think, 1 million downloads a month or even more. Sorry if I'm not giving you the right uh, props there, Andrew. But needless to say, it's extremely popular. Uh, he's also been blogging about Arsenal for around 15 years, actually just 15 years last week, and has won awards for both. As a lifelong Arsenal fan, I got extremely interested in listening to Arscast, uh, the podcast about four or five years ago when I, I guess, stumbled across podcasts myself. And I've been listening to it twice a week, pretty much ever since. So I chanced my arm back in late December to see if Andrew would be interested in coming on to a show that had no name at that point, but I knew it was a podcast about self-improvement. To my surprise, he replied, and then last week, after trading some emails for the last number of weeks, he generously gave up his time and his studio in Dublin City Centre to record the episode. This was quite daunting for me, but an amazing experience. I was sitting across somebody that's done hundreds of podcasts, and it was my 10th episode that I recorded. So during the conversation, we talk about Andrew's career, how we got into blogging, podcasting, his earlier career as a DJ, where his love affair for Arsenal began, and I think still continues, how he would describe himself in one word and in two words, Definitely not an entrepreneur, as I found out. He talks about lessons he's learned along the way. He gives some really good advice out during the conversation as well. We touch on guests that Andrew would like to interview. I ask him about his sleep patterns, about doodling, which I noticed he did on some A4 paper in advance of me arriving. And then towards the end, maybe the last 10 or so minutes, I run through a few Arsenal-related questions Ones that I was holding back till the end, but I couldn't resist any longer. And that was a real absolute pleasure for me. So I don't want to sound like a complete another cheese ball here, but it was a total privilege for me to interview Andrew. And despite the nerves and early trepidation, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So you can check out Andrew's website on andrewmangan.net. And if you're an Arsenal fan, please go to arsblog.com to read Andrew's blog and listen to the Arscast podcasts. So without much more rambling, I will leave it there and hand you over to the episode between myself and Andrew. So welcome folks to another episode of the 1% Better podcast with me, Rob O'Donoghue. This is uh, my 10th recording and uh, certainly the most special so far. I'm here today with Andrew Mangan. Uh, so Andrew is a, a writer, a blogger, a broadcaster, a voiceover artist, 
Uh, he has his own podcast network called Castaway Media. I'm giving you a big intro here, Andrew. Yeah. Um, and most importantly, I guess, <coughs> you support Arsenal. Yes. Right? And have an Arsenal podcast called Arsecast. Yes. For my sins, I support Arsenal, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> for me, obviously, there's, there's a lot of vested interest in this because you've somehow managed to turn a career into podcasting and connecting it with Arsenal, which I'm really interested in digging in how the hell you did that. So Right. So as I said, the team is 1% better. So I'm hoping during our journey here, or your journey, that uh, there's some takeaways that we can share to the listeners that they could apply to their own personal or uh, professional life to sure. make them that 1% better or, or maybe even more. So I'm going to aim for 7 maybe 7%, 7% better. 7%, be, yeah, you that's know. pretty good. That's um, good so you're up for the challenge. Sure, why not? How would you define yourself in a, in a, in a word or two words? <sighs> two words. Um, that's a really good question. I've never thought about it before. I, I would say probably the first word would be writer okay. because that's what I do. It's... It's sort of at the very core of everything that I've done with Arsblog and with with the you know, with the website and and although it's moved in different directions, I think ultimately the thing I do first every morning is get up and write eight hundred a thousand words every single morning of the week about mm-hmm. Arsenal Football Club or sometimes not about Arsenal Football Club. So I think probably writer would be the one word, and then the second word would be procrastinator <laughs> I actually wrote down a word I was wondering entrepreneur would you call yourself that no not at all no why not I, to me entrepreneur would Ponzi type title no or, no or, I mean look there are people who are entrepreneurs but I've interviewed uh, some for the podcast I'm sure I'm, and yeah. I'm, you know I, I don't think it's a dirty word in any way but I think it, it speaks to having a plan or an understanding of business or a strategy. Okay. And I don't have any of those things. I just kind of, my entire life is based around the premise of making it up as you go along. And here I am. So I think I can kind of strike through about 20 of my questions as a result of the answer to that. But oh, no, okay. Well, listen, that's fine. I'm happy to, I'm happy to go with them. No, but, no, you no, know, no. look, I'm, I'm, I'm just not that. I'm not the guy who's gonna cool. tell you how to synergize your your whatever going forward and all that. Well, I'm just you know, honesty is a good thing as well. Sure. Um, to, to maybe just follow on from that, did you have plans of, as you mentioned, you probably didn't, but how all this started, like how it all came about? Take it right back. At what point did you realize, God, I've set up my own business here. I'm running things, or, or did it just kind of happen? Uh, well, it, it it didn't happen in in any kind of business way for for quite for quite a while. I mean, Arsblog is it will be fifteen at the end of February, so I don't know when this is oh, going out. So it'll be probably a, after the months, fact. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the website started in February two thousand and two, and it was a way for me to learn web design because I had a little small web design company, which d- d- didn't work. Ultimately, it didn't work. But the website and writing every day was. Uh, enjoyable and fun and people people reacted very well to it people responded well to it and it got to the point where it probably should have been making some money but it wasn't it wasn't ever my idea that arsblog would be a business or something that i could earn a living from and this uh, this american company called ole ole came along and they bought out the website and they were paying me a, a good mm-hmm. salary 
uh, to to continue to run the website and be a, be a consultant to them. Right. Uh, uh, and that didn't last maybe as long as it should have, and they stopped paying me. And it, it, it was around, I think, October 2010 when they went out of business, they went bankrupt, and they ended up owing me a lot of money, and I ended up in a, in a difficult financial position. And at that point, I had to make a decision about what, what do I do? Do I go back to work? Per se, do I go back into the job market? And at that point, you know, I, I hadn't. It's not that I hadn't been working, but if you were to ask me to, today, even go out and get a job, like go to mm. what's like monster.ie or whatever it is, the jobs website, go go and get yourself a job. What is it that you do? Mm. I I don't know. Right. I couldn't tell you. I mean, I had did like customer service. I worked for Aircom in technical support. I was a manager in there. Mm. It made me want to like jump off a cliff. It was, you know, I, I, yeah, the yeah. work didn't suit me. So it was 2010 where I had to say, right, okay, what do I do with this? Mm. How do I go? How do I make a decision on it? And ultimately, it was a really simple strategy I, I guess or it would the idea was that the more people that came to visit the website the more views we would get the more advertising revenue we would generate and that was basically it so it was about producing content mm -hmm. that was the idea produce as much content as possible within i won't say boundaries or guidelines but without without just publishing any old crap if you know what i mean so mm. to a certain standard and it's always been important to me that that what we produce is of a of a certain standard. Hmm. Very interesting. One of the things I just picked up on when you said every morning you get up and maybe write a thousand words. Mm. Some of the other folks that I've interviewed on podcasts in different realms in the areas of coaching and mindfulness, and they talk about journaling as kind of a way of getting shit out of their heads and just being more comfortable. What's what's journaling? It's essentially spending minutes at night or, or in the morning just writing stuff that comes into your mind that's in there that's that positive or negative voice that comes in and just getting it all on paper and essentially it's kind of cathartic and making themselves feel better sleep better and they get into a habit of doing it okay and, and it's like it's there's a five minute journal or a 15 minute journal if you've ever listened to tim ferris he talks about journaling an awful lot as right. well um and it just strikes me it sounds like it's something it's a practice you might be doing not aware of perhaps Maybe, but it's not really. Sometimes it's about what's in my head. In fairness, there are days okay. when when there isn't football to talk about, or it's summer and there's nothing going on, and then it becomes a little bit more introspective. But usually, it's about specific things, about okay. a match, about. But maybe from a from a, a uh, the, the sheer practice of it, maybe it is. Mm. Um, but it's it, it's very much ingrained in my routine, you know, mm. that it is the first thing I do every morning. Well, you know, I get up, go to the bathroom, make some coffee, and then mm. this is what I do. I sit down at my desk and I write. Uh, and uh, it would feel, it feels kind of strange when I don't do it, you know? If mm. I go on holidays and hand it over to someone else, which I do, you know, a week, a year, yeah. it feels a bit odd at first yeah. um, without having to worry about it or to do that, but yeah. It's a habit, yeah. So, mm. so even at night I would write five minutes one or two pages just to, to get into the, the journaling mindset. Right. And the nights that I don't do it are the kinds I feel something is missing in the same way as exercise or other stuff to get sure. into it. So so that's that's interesting. 
So we maybe we'll trip back down memory lane if a little bit, if that's okay, because I'd like to okay. know where where this, uh, I suppose, passion for media writing kind of originated from. When you were growing up, were you like this person who was writing 17-page essays in school and have a creative uh, streak? Y- yeah, you know, I used to... I can remember doing English essays and handing them up and thinking they were great, you know? Mm. And the teachers didn't necessarily agree. I think they wanted, you know, something a bit more structured perhaps and something a bit more literary or poetic or or whatever it is. I don't quite know what they were looking for, but what they got was 12 pages of surreal, bizarre, comedic story that entertained me. And that ultimately was where I was coming from with what I was writing was Mm -hmm. always... Well, I, I, this is hilarious to me. Yeah. Um, and maybe it wasn't. Yeah, I think probably it, it might have been better than the teacher suggested because I think a lot of the teachers are are very strict in what they expect. Mm. And they don't want you to, they don't necessarily encourage you to write in that way because mm. if you hand that up in your leaving cert, then the leaving cert guy is going to go, well, this is fucking, jeez, what the hell was is he on? You know. Undiagnosed kind of uh, issues going on at that stage yeah. in those days. But I mean, probably would have thought it. maybe so, but it was, I can remember writing those and teachers going, eh, you know, I mean, it's very creative, mm-hmm. but, you know, that way. And, uh, you know, I, I wrote a lot in my teenage years. I wrote um, a lot of sort of short stories. Uh, which are knocking around in my parents' house somewhere. I don't quite know where. Uh, I'm an inveterate doodler. I'm always doodling on things. You know, I've got a pad here. I noticed the drawing there when I came in. You know, there's drawings and doodles and little things just everywhere. Um, So I can't do one thing without necessarily doing another. So, uh, you know... Uh, mixtapes when we were uh, growing up in our teenage years and we'd swap tapes around you know I'd always like draw the 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 cassette inlays and stuff like that so I think my mind has always been very much geared to creating Mm. things whether it's words or sounds or pictures or what have you. And I, I, I think as well that's why I found working for Aircom and working in a very structured environment where you're dealing with uh, stats and performance and, you know, strict well. guidelines and all those kind of things, uh, quite soul-destroying in a way. Like, mm. you, could, I could do it. Mm. It was fine. Mm. But... You didn't get the buzz. No, there's no no buzz. There's no buzz. How many calls has John answered this week? And how long were those calls? And it was like, oh, God. To to be honest, I'm doing a coaching diploma at the moment. And we go through a lot of uh, different psychometric tests. And there is... There is people that get a buzz out of that, believe it or not. Oh, no, I do. I'm, I believe it. I've, I've worked with them. <laughs> yeah. I have worked with them. Um, but, uh, yeah. But not, not for you. Not for me. So as you were growing up, you had this forming mindset, I want to be a creative writer. I wanted Obviously. to be a DJ. I wanted okay. to be a radio DJ, which is what uh, I did for many years. Well, till I was about 24, 25, and I was involved mm. in a car accident, and I was out of work for about nine months. And that's when sort of reality sets in. You're in your mid-20s, and... Uh, you, you've got a, a house and a mortgage and a child and you've got to reassess maybe because it's not the most stable, it's not the most secure and, and certainly not the most um, uh, lucrative industry. You know, I was DJing nightclubs and okay. things like that and doing voiceovers here and there and doing some radio production and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I was always into 
the arts and into music and into DJing and into radio and into media. And uh, yeah, I can remember I lived in England when I was a kid. My dad managed a hotel there. And I can remember even as a kid being fascinated by they'd have functions, you know, weddings and there'd be a DJ there and like wanting to see how the DJ set things up and like DJ would go off and come back for his gear the next day and I'd like play around with it and tr try and get the microphone working and it was always fascinating to me that kind of stuff you know mm. did you go to university I didn't go to university I went to senior college in Ballyfermot okay uh, where I did uh, a diploma in broadcasting and journalism so that was exactly what you wanted to do yeah. you kind of knew that yeah what, were your parents anyway trying to steer you in any direction or other influences growing up to say, you know, do do this, do the accounting, do whatever mm, else, no? No, not, not really. I also wanted to be a footballer and I wasn't necessarily encouraged to go down that route. Um, that that's a that's one of my big regrets that I didn't uh, I didn't uh, what, what I wasn't standard? more seriously I don't know what standard I could have got to. You know, I was never gonna be Ronaldo or Messi, but um I, I do feel like if I'd been more encouraged to play and take it more seriously, uh, because you get to your teenage years and you, there's girls and drinks and things and you, you let it slide. Mm. Um, but it was always always a big passion. I still play as, as much as I can. Mm. Um, so I wasn't necessarily encouraged to go down that route, but I think they were very aware that... I was never going to be an accountant or a lawyer or a doctor. I wasn't academically, not that I wasn't good academically. I just couldn't bring my myself to ever study. Mm. You know, it was like I had enough to get by mm. C's and B's and what have you without having to do too much work. Like if I could, uh, if I had studied and applied myself, I'm sure I could have got better results, but I just wasn't bothered. Mm. You know, I just could never motivate myself to to learn about Pythagoras' theorem because I knew I was never going to need it in my life. English yeah. I was always good at. French I was good at because I enjoy languages. Um, but the rest of it was like, oh, God, I'll just do enough to like get get as much or just get the bare minimum. I'm, I'm, I'm happy enough with that. And I think they came to realize that there was no point pushing me in a a direction I didn't want to go. But you, it, again, sounds very clear that you had a very good sense of what you wanted to do or the area you wanted to be in or had a sense of purpose. I wouldn't say that either because I didn't really know. I just knew kind of the areas. I didn't have mm. great ambition or drive, and I wasn't terribly confident about it either. You know, I think back now, and uh, I, I, I'm very much of the opinion now that you should do things and try them because what's the worst that can happen? Mm. It just either it works or it doesn't work. Mm. People like it or they don't like it. But I was always terrified of people not liking it and then that being uh, some kind of indelible stain on my mm. my my being, my person or my you know my my potential in a way mm. um, that I'm a, a bit more thick skin now. And I do that would be a piece of advice that I would give to anybody who's listening, who's yeah. in the creative or the media world or the artistic world who isn't sure or who isn't necessarily confident, just do it. Mm. Go for it. Because the the worst thing that can happen is people won't like it. And at the end of the mm. day, if people don't like it, so what? Yeah. If you like it, you'll find some people that will. Mm. For sure. You'll find your audience. You'll find your niche. And you should just, you should just go for it and don't waste time procrastinating yeah. and sitting around worrying about what other people think. Don't worry about what other people think. Yeah, I love, I love that. Just on that, though, 
like if you're you were saying you're doing the DJing when you were quite mm. young, that that to me would be something that I would have never really had a passion to do, but yeah. it would have required a lot of self confidence almost to put yourself out there. So you must have had a good level. I, I guess so. I yeah. guess so. It works both ways. But you know, w- within that, there's sort of um, there's an element of performance to it that when you put the microphone up and you're, you're talking in. on the radio, you're sort of zoom, mm. uh, and then when you step back from it and and you you think about it, you get a bit more introspective. Like, if I'd been a bit more aggressive, I don't mean aggressive as in violent, I just mean a bit more focused or a bit more driven okay. as a teenager and someone in my early 20s, mm. if, I had, if I'd been able to challenge, because I think I was good at it, I think I was talented at it, I think I, I had a, a way of doing it that was maybe a bit different from, from a lot of other people, mm. uh, but there was also a, a deal of insecurity with that, and... Mm. Uh, that I wasn't necessarily as as driven as I should be to try and to try and make my way in in that world, you know. What was your DJ handle? My DJ name was uh, Dave Adams. Dave Adams. Dave Adams was the the first DJ name I, I chose, and after a while, you know, I, I would go on and just use my own name. But yeah, Dave Adams, which I think was a cross between David Bowie and Tony Adams. Okay, I think I, I don't I don't know, but. So speaking of Tony Adams, when did Arsenal become part of your your life? Uh, from one Arsenal fan to another, I, I kind of remember the first match that I said I support Arsenal from yeah. now on. Uh, when when was that milestone in, in Andrew's I, life? I, the first match I remember is 1979 FA Cup final, but I don't remember why exactly I I chose Arsenal. I don't you know. Well, I God, I, I have an idea. The other side. You know, the 79 was United, was it? Yeah, that was... 3-2? Yeah, 3-2. Thankfully, you didn't go the other way. I I think it was because I was living in England. And at the time, you know, we were living in England in the 70s and we were brought up as Irish. You know, we were reminded all the time, you know, my dad and my mom were from, from Drimna. Uh, They both had to uh, um, emigrate from Ireland. Um, So I I think uh, it comes from being Irish in England in the 1970s and Arsenal had a lot of Irish players so I think I identified with them and that's why that's why I became a, a, an Arsenal fan but I don't remember making a decision there was no conscious decision mm. um, but that, that I, I think I figure that's why right and from then on everything else became clear I guess yeah or, or murky as we might ask uh, <laughs> questions on in a little bit um, you're up to about 25 I guess and you were saying at that stage you had had a car accident yeah uh, what, what kind of lessons did you learn during that uh, uh, no I learned that you can you can get yourself into a very dark place mm. if you're injured and in pain a lot and uh, it wasn't necessarily a happy time you know, it, it it is quite odd because what happened was my arm got broken and and it was a what they call a spiral fracture in in my arm here, and the two pieces of bone. What they did was they put a cast from my shoulder down to my wrist to sort of bring the two pieces of bone together. And I would go to the hospital every week, every two weeks, and say to them, "Look, this is not this is not uh, working. You're it's not it's not knitting. I could I could move." the two pieces of bone over each other in my arm. I could make them go... And it was not necessarily painful because there came a point where, you know, the acute pain of having an arm break is gone, but it wasn't. And they weren't listening to me. They were doing x-rays going, no, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Um, 
and you know you kind of self-medicate to a certain extent so you know you could smoke some stuff and you know but that as well can become a little bit much mm. and uh like after about three and a half months it wasn't fixed so i had to go in and have a big operation they put a they put a you know a, a metal plate in my arm and screws which is still there to this day and it was yeah it was it wasn't a great time um but there does come a point where you have to snap out of it a bit and go okay well i've got to i've got to try and do something with my life Mm. Um, and that's how I ended up working for, for Aircom because I was always quite technologically minded. Mm. I was good with computers, and I blagged my way into – I think I blagged my way into AOL uh, by by talking up my uh, expertise as somebody who knew Mac, mm. Macintosh computers, which were very much the, the exception rather than the norm back then. I think that's how I got in, and that, that – Begot a, or beget a life in a tech support, or you know, four or five years working in tech support, and um, yeah, there you go, tech so support. T- so two things there: don't always believe what your nurses and doctors are telling you, and the other one, it's very good to kind of blag your way sometimes in. I get, yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, it's it's one of those where it was actually a lesson my dad taught me. Um, he helped me make a CV once. I had a summer job working in don't even know if it was summer it could have been summer and weekends or something i was working in in dunn stores mm. in the swan center in Rathmines, and they had an uh, upstairs dunn stores and downstairs there was a car park and they had like the shopping trolleys and this was before the coin operated slots you used to give a pound note <laughs> to get your shopping trolley and you get a give a pound note uh, when you brought your shopping trolley back yeah and i said to my dad one day i was doing my cv and he said uh so, you know, you worked in Dunn's, put that down. I was going, well, what did I, what do I put like in Dunn's? I was like, you know, you'd do that job or you'd stack the shelves or, you know, the very, you sweep out the floors and mm. all that. And he went, well, why don't you put down on your CV that, uh, let me see if I can remember the phrase here. In Dunn's stores, Rathmines, you were the non-mechanical mobile equipment supervisor. Very good. And I, I thought that was brilliant. There's an acronym in there somewhere. The, the, yeah, but well. just that, non-mechanical uh, mobile equipment supervisor. I thought that like what does that that could mean all kinds of things. Very impressive. So it, it, you know, again, it comes back to that. Well, look, if someone if someone quizzes you on it, you can say, yeah, I did the shopping trolleys. But if they don't, it looks impressive. So again, it was like, you know, when you go for a job, everyone does that on their CV, don't they? They they sort of pad a little bit. They sort of uh, flesh out their experience. You know, they 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 sort of over-egg the pudding mm. a little bit, which Absolutely. I think everybody does and everybody should, mm. uh, provided you can then yeah. back it up to an extent. Like you don't say, I you know... I, I went to the moon because yeah, yeah. that's that's unworkable. But if you can if you can keep it vague enough that you can you can actually make it sound realistic, then then why the hell not? Yeah, it's it's weird. I was actually going down the astronaut route with that kind of uh, extreme as well. So that's kind of strange. But um, but yeah, again, doing coaching, we talk a lot about networking, and the key thing is trying to get on front of your potential hiring manager. Yeah, uh, and you know bending the rules a little bit <laughs> can sometimes be okay um so let's talk about where the podcasting uh, adventure began mm-hmm. um podcasting was probably a new enough medium of communication when you started to dive into that yeah uh, i'd love to know a little bit more about how you you know started that journey and how quickly it became 
what it became because it is quite ridiculous at the moment, numbers wise. Yeah, and ridiculously good, obviously. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, it. I mean, it started in two thousand and six. So this was after I'd come home. I'd, I'd lived in Spain for five years. Mm. So we come home and. Uh, again, when I was living in Spain, I was teaching English and doing various things over there. But when I came back, I had to find work. And this was, I guess, the start of RS Blog becoming a li- little bit of a, a business. But mm. I was doing voiceover work. Um, and, I, I, you know, I, I love radio and I've always loved radio. And uh, I thought I'd heard about podcasts and I looked into them a little bit and mm. was going, well, basically, it's your own radio show mm. that you can produce at home. And you're not answerable to anybody and nobody's telling you you need to put in an ad break right now and nobody's in your ear saying you can't play that song. You can and use nobody's, nice language and as You well. can say what you want yeah. and you can do what you want. Yeah. And to me it was like, oh my God, this is brilliant. It's like mm. a blank slate of audio for me to, to play around with. So Paint. I bought a microphone and uh, just a fairly simple USB microphone. I didn't even have a, uh, a mic stand. I had sort of mm. propped the... the, the um, uh, the microphone up in a in a jar of pencils, you know, was right. sort of leaning over and trying to talk into it a bit like that, you know, and and just did it and started doing it and producing it on a on a regular basis, and that's that's kind of what it is, you and, know. Like obviously, you had a quite a big fan base, if that's the right term, from yeah. the from the the blog, yeah, right. So yeah. then it was just they just moved over to the and maybe in in parallel started to listen and, and read. Yeah. So it yeah. then just started to escalate massively? Or well, I don't was know. Was it a slow burner? I guess it's a slow burner because, you know, here we are 10 years later. People often ask me, how did you, you know, uh, you know, the, the blog or the podcast and, you know, how did you get it to the point where it is? And I go, well, you know, 15 years of work, yeah, 15 yeah. years of doing it regularly or 10 years mm. of the podcast doing it every single week. Mm. There's no quick fixes. Sure. People are looking for that. People are looking for how do you how do you get thousands of listeners immediately? Well, mm. you don't unless you're you have like a a, a hit like cereal or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The most people don't get that. Mm. Or you're a celebrity and you launch your own podcast, then you've got this this traction that people will come and, and visit. But you know, for the average guy who starts his podcast, be patient. Yeah. Produce your stuff regularly, frequently. Mm-hmm. Make sure it's as good as you can make it. And wait, mm-hmm. and wait, and mm. be patient. And if you can't deal with that, then you're going to be disappointed. Yeah, and I'm obviously absorbing everything you're saying there. Like the the reason I'm doing this first and foremost is to learn how to do this and have front row seats with pretty cool people and, and learn from their experiences yeah. as well. Obviously, if something else came out of it, wonderful. And somebody else enjoys listening to it, that would be awesome as well. Sure, but um, but no, that that's really good. So during the the last 10 years or so, what mistakes have you made that stick out and that you might have learned something from, if if any, or big ones? Um, what mistakes? That is... You're perfect, basically. No, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> perfect. But what, what, as I said, my philosophy has always been... Mm. Not always, but you know, in the in the last ten years, or certainly when I've been doing Ars Blog, is like mm. try something. If you have an idea, try it. Mm. I remember a mistake now. Okay, I remember a mistake. The body language changed. I saw it there. Okay, we did a book 
uh, an Arsenal book called So Paddy Got Up, mm. which was a collection of writing about Arsenal by lots of different bloggers and lots of different uh, uh, Arsenal fans and journalists. And it was very, it was great. It was mm. an idea I had. I said, let's go for it. We published it ourselves. It was fantastic. And uh, let's do it. It was great. The book was a great success. Mm. The mistake I made was trying to replicate that with another club. Right. I thought in terms of the format, okay. it was great. But uh, we, we put together one uh, for Manchester United. Now, in fairness, I didn't... My passion is Arsenal. Yeah, like, yeah. I, can't, I can't write about Manchester United. Sure. I couldn't even pretend. So I hired a Manchester United fan. We sourced a lot of good Manchester United writers mm. um, and put together what I thought was a really nice uh, hardback book. Mm. But because of... We didn't have the platform of Arsblog and the mm. goodwill that was behind Arsblog when we did a book to launch it. It didn't really work. Mm. That was a mistake, I think. And in you hindsight, put a lot of effort into it. We did put a lot of effort yeah. into it. A lot of effort. It cost a lot of money to produce a book, and we didn't make anywhere near our money back on it. There's probably hundreds and hundreds of copies of that book still mm. sitting around, um, and that was sort of overreaching. Uh, you know, or or perhaps underestimating what the what the platform I have on Arsblog can do, and mm. thinking that maybe okay, if we're not going to launch it on one big Manchester United blog, uh, maybe by spreading it across lots of them and by mm. uh, getting the word out to lots of their fan sites and everything else, we would we would create demand for this book, but it, it didn't really work. But from an Arsblog point of view, I don't think there've been any mistakes. There's things we've tried that mm. haven't worked out, but again, I'm I'm quite happy to try things and for them not to work. Because okay. then at least I go, well, I tried it. Mm. So so yeah. that's that's kind of where I am. Interesting. I think I got a copy of the book when I joined the, the Red Club a couple of years ago. Did that's they right. Send, they sent yeah. that out. We yeah, did yeah. A, a, a condensed edition for the members pack yeah, yeah, yeah. for that, Arsenal. That, that, yeah. that rings a bell, all right. So then you set up Castaway Networks or Castaway Media. Mm-hmm. And there must be, or is there a, a plan or a strategy around where that, should go or what you want to go with that no i mean there was a plan but the plan didn't work and okay. as a as an entity i think castaway media uh in its original inception was going to be a podcast network mm. um that won't work in ireland i don't think because you just you lack scale Right, you lack the scale to make the podcasts monetizable. Okay, and the thing about podcasts, as you know, I'm sure from uh, your uh, recordings and from your production and everything else, is that they are time consuming. Sure, they take time. Mm -hmm. The very minimum it takes to produce an hour of audio mm. is an hour. Mm. After that, you, it, you know, you can go hours and hours and hours, and you yeah, can go, yeah, yeah. go down the rabbit hole in terms of production. So. What we what we're doing is perhaps a bit more traditional in the sense that the studio here that you're sitting in now mm -hmm. um, is open for people to to hire to okay. rent if they want to produce their own podcast. We can produce those podcasts for them. We're producing Eamon Dunphy's podcast in here. Okay. Um, you know, we we have the facility to record and produce and make good quality audio for people. Mm. Perhaps some training down the way, but I think in its original inception, the idea that we might have this network of really great shows mm. is is just unworkable and un, unsustainable because it takes too much time and effort for not enough reward. And I'm okay. at a point in my life where I can't dedicate 
mm. lots and lots of time to doing work for nothing. Yeah, yeah. You know? But it's, that's a learning, right? So that yeah. you, you give it a go, you know at what point to maybe walk away from this and not put more and more effort when, when you know it's actually not going anywhere. Yeah. So that's, I guess, something that people could take away as well because a lot of the time people spend a long time hoping for this to turn around. Sure. And it never does. Yeah. So, so there's a break point where you say, fuck, I'm, I'm walking away and yeah. it's done. Yeah. Or you move in a slightly different direction. Yeah, yeah. and you learn from that as well because exactly. now you're finding other avenues of potential revenue and other ways to do it. So, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, so yeah that's, exactly. That's, that's you know. really cool. Yeah. Um, you mentioned other uses of the studio and people sitting in here. I know from listening to your podcast last year with, with Mark Maron, which mm. which was awesome, and I, I listened to, to him uh, a lot as well. Yeah. Uh, I won't kind of regurgitate that story because you're probably sick talking about it, but... Other favorite guests that you've ever interviewed? Anyone stick out in mind? Yeah, um, apart from Robert Perez as well. Which I'm well, that was that was like a private event. <laughs> um, Get a room, sort of thing. There. Yeah, I mean, I think um, you know the 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 other podcast I did, which was on the Castaway Network, which is called the Seven Three Eight AM Podcast. I haven't done one for almost a year now. Yeah, yeah. Because I found it quite. I was, you know, when you. When you deal with someone like, let's say, Mark Maron, who is one of the biggest podcasters in the world, who in many respects went out of his way mm. to come in here when jet lagged and sit down and do a podcast and be super cool and mm. super professional uh, behind the mic. As soon as the mic went on, he was like perfect, yeah, really accommodating, really nice. Um We had other people who were really great with their time. I found it a little... I won't say disheartening, but a bit of a pain in the arse when you were chasing mm. people in the Irish media landscape. And I'm not going to name any names or suggest any particular areas where you would make contact with them, mm. where they wouldn't reply to an email, mm. where you'd chase them up again, they wouldn't reply, or they might reply and say, oh, maybe, uh, or get no response uh, to a follow-up email. And... Even to uh, to a lesser degree, you know, one or two people who who you interviewed, you're going, you know, wh why is this? I just don't. You're, you're a very small fish in a very small pond. Mm. And I just, you know, I appreciate anyone who came in and gave me their time because I give their time up for nothing. Mm. And there were been some brilliant guests, and I love talking to people like some of the old radio guys, mm. you know, who, who were uh, favorites of mine from the uh, pirate radio days, you oh. know, so uh, great guys like Declan Meehan, Ian Dempsey, uh, people like Colm Hayes were, were mm. fantastic. Uh, loads of radio people were really, really great people that I was able to catch up with. And it was great to talk radio about them. But it became just a pain mm. to try and get people to give up an hour of their time and maybe that's reflective on me I, I don't mm. quite know but you know it was just like oh god mm. but you know it's it's great when you talk to somebody and you 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 uh you have a good time with them you know uh, adam buxton was was fantastic to talk to we did that remotely he was in his okay. studio i was in my studio that 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 was fun uh, and there are lots of interesting um people out there donald deneen was was another great one i mean there's loads of them there but you know, sometimes, sometimes the hassle of trying to make it happen is just not worth it. You know, mm. again, it comes back to: Do I have the time to 
to spend trying to convince somebody. You know, the yeah. worst thing in the world is like, if you don't want to be on a podcast. Just say it. Just say no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what's, the pro like, I'm not, no one's going to go, oh my God, you, you monster. Yeah. How dare you not give up an hour of your time or two hours by the time you travel mm -hmm. into town, sure. travel back out of town. Like, all it takes is just, listen, thanks, but I'm not interested in doing that. I found the, the lack of manners from some people, I found that quite staggering. Hmm. Annoying. And, and especially, I guess, you would have a good profile, right? So I'm starting this whole journey myself and, you know, from trading emails with you. And again, thanks for your time to do this. It's it's amazing. But there's a question going off in my head. It's like, what, you know, what's the future? I, I'm not saying it's no, going no, to no, make no, me but stop. No, but no, 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 sure. No, I mean, look, you, you will find, I guess, uh, over time that you'll get people who are easy to deal with and people who are not easy to deal with. And, you know, as somebody who is a podcaster and does, you know, one or two podcasts every single week, mm. you know, from an arsehole point of view, I, I'm I'm chasing people around all the time, asking them, even if it's just a Skype call or a phone call, yeah. for their time. Sure. And I'm always really appreciative of that. So mm. I feel like when someone uh, like you emails me uh, and asks me, like, I'm, it might take me a while to reply, but I always will, like, because yeah, I get yeah. a lot of email, I'm yeah. drawn, like, oh, God, have a reply to that. And, sure. Um, I, I'm happy to get a bump on an email as well. If somebody emails me and I reply and then they reply and they don't hear anything back, just email again. It's yeah, not yeah, being yeah. Me, me being an asshole. It's just no. I've forgotten. Um, so I've got no problem with that. But I always feel like if I'm asking people for, for their time, if someone asks me for some of my time, I'd be a dick if I got precious about that and said, no, I'm yeah. not going to do that. It's the quid pro quo model, I think. Isn't exactly, it? the old yeah, uh, Hannibal so. Lecter model. So, <laughs> so I'm going to eat your kidney beans with a uh, uh, some fava beans and a nice Chianti now. Well, there's a Chianti there that I actually brought in, yeah, so that, that could go nice. down quite well. <laughs> um, who would be a guest? And I'm, I'm conscious of your time, so don't, just no, no, kick no, me out of here whenever we, we, you have had enough. But uh, who would be an, a guest that you would love to interview? And it could be from any walk of life or... You know, not necessarily just uh, Arsene Wenger, but uh, anyone specific jump out? Who would be a guest that I would like to... I, I would genuinely love to interview Arsene Wenger. <laughs> I would love to. Yeah. Any ever connections made there or kind of leads potentially through James or anyone at the club? No, no. I, you know, he's slightly untouchable in that regard. At the moment. At the moment, yeah. Um, and certainly it would be a difficult interview. I think, you know, maybe... It would be a better interview if I could, if and when, well, certainly there's going to be a when he's not the Arsenal manager anymore, then I would absolutely love to just sit down and talk to him and ask him about all kinds of things. Because if you see any of the interviews, any of the long-form interviews that he does, and there was one with uh, Roger Bennett from Men in Blazers, who uh, you know have this big U.S., uh, it's a it's a podcast and a, a TV show about football, and he did one there on his twentieth anniversary, and it was absolutely brilliant. And there was a print interview in Lekeep last year where, you know, uh, it was Lekeep's style section, and they did this like in depth interview with with Arsene Wenger. Uh, we did a translation on the site. It's one of the most popular things that we've ever published because it's just so goddamn interesting. Mm. He's such an incredible way of thinking about things, and once you get beyond the the Wenger in or Wenger out or the anger about why can't the team win the title and why do we lose so many, you know, w once you sort of get beyond that, I think there's a really interesting conversation to have with him about life and football and mm. the world and how it's all changed and his experience at Arsenal and, mm. uh, you know, there's so many things you'd, you'd love to know. Um, 
So yeah, that would be that would be an amazing uh, opportunity or an amazing thing to do. I think maybe you could ghostwrite his uh, biography when that comes around. Maybe who knows? You never who know. Knows? Connections are made. I will com- finish up with a few Arsenal questions. I sure. don't want to go down that r- rabbit hole just yet because that'll take up a bit of time. That's okay. Just a few other ones that are kind of general bullet point questions. What's a work-life balance for you? Do you have one? I'm always working. But you love what you do, right? So yeah, but I'm lucky in that I, I work at home for the most part. Okay. So I get up in the morning and I've got relative freedom. But, you know, you, when you work for yourself, you really do have to stay on top of it. You've got to stay focused and uh, not get distracted. It's easy to get distracted when you're at home. So, you know, my wife works at home as well. So we see a lot of each other through the day. So it's not like, you know... Uh, it's not like uh, I'm working. Yeah, exactly. So, but, you know, at the same time, I get up at about 6, 6.30 every morning Mm -hmm. and I would finish work at sort of 10, 30, 11 because you've got to see what stories are are happening the next day. So the, Mm. the, uh, the, the, the daily newspapers publish their stuff online about 10, between 10 and 11. So you kind of have to stay up and see what's going on, if there's anything interesting going on. But it's not as if you're sort of flat out working from 6 until 11. But those are kind of the hours in which you could be working. And, you know, uh, I work five days a week because that there's a lot of stuff happening during the week. But I also work weekends mm. because that's when the matches are. Sure. So you could be working all day Saturday. You could be working all day Sunday. Mm-hmm. You know, I write for ESPN as well. So I write for a couple of other websites. So there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of writing during the week. So the work-life balance is, it's heavy, but it's doable because you are at home and you can, if you want to uh, go, Jesus, I'm going to like take an hour off at three o'clock and I'm going to sit down and just play PlayStation for an hour because, because I can. Yeah. So from that point of view, I'm, I'm fortunate. I would never complain about my, my work um, I've uh, something else my my dad said to me. You know, there's there's so much going on with the site and everything else. He goes, well, you know, once you once you create the beast, you've got to feed the beast. Mm-hmm. And I'm always conscious of that. That you've got to give people what they want. Sure. And if you give them things that they want, you can't stop giving it to them. Mm. So, and is the bar getting higher and higher and higher? Then, well, the more we it? do, yeah, the more there is to do. Mm. But that's that's fine as well. Do you get? Do you get stressed from it all? Is there like a is there a stress element in what you do or sometimes? Of, yeah. Sometimes there's a sometimes there's a lot of work and sometimes if things aren't going well there's a lot to deal with and you know I'm sure and many of the listeners will know that sometimes people on the internet behave in a way that they shouldn't mm-hmm. or that they think is acceptable. I mean, you know, we've got very strict standards in terms of the content we produce, but also the way that we manage the site and the way that we run the site in that we won't allow people to behave or say things or talk in a way that reflects badly on the site because ultimately you can produce brilliant content, but if you've got a comment section full of absolute wankers, that reflects on your site. Sure. So we manage that very strictly. Mm. And keeping on top of that can be a little bit stressful because you try and tell people, look, please, just have a bit of manners. Don't call that guy, uh, you know, a fucking asshole Mm. because you disagree with his point of view. Argue the point of view, Mm. but leave the name calling and the childishness out of it. And then it's like, well, he started it. He he said, you're going, all right, listen, it's difficult. And, you know, from that point of view, it can be a bit stressful. Um, 
and Arsenal can make you stressful, <laughs> as you know. Um, so, yeah, it is. But, look, it's not like I'm working on the coalface. I'm not a nurse doing 16 hours in A&E mm. trying to keep people alive with no resources and no beds and trolleys. So mm. it's it's all relative. How would you realize that perspective, I guess? Do you have some triggers to unwind, to, to chill out? What what kind of reduces those sort of stresses? Um, Watch football. Uh, yeah, and it's a vicious circle again. There. No, look, I mean, it's always there. You know, I'm not. I don't lose sight of the fact that the job I do is one that most people would probably love to do to write about your favorite football team. And um, you know, it's not the be all and end, end all of what I do. I do, you know, other stuff. I still do voiceover work. I do, uh, you know, v- various other things. But you know, I, I I don't lose sight in the, in the very. There can be moments where you're like, mm. but, you know, when it comes right down to it, I, I can sit on my sofa in my underpants and work lovely in front of the fire and watch a match and, do, you know, do all the work. Mm. You know, that that is something that I'm very fortunate to be able to do. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. Cool. Question I'd like to ask around sleep. I think sleep is uh, an interesting mm. thing, <laughs> something, uh, something we all have to do. How, what's your sleep patterns like in do they fluctuate and would they have an impact on your mood and day typically if uh, if, if it changes? Uh, I would guess I sleep maybe five or six hours a night. Wow. That's, that's but, uh, you know, I'm, Barack I, Obama's territory yeah, there. So. Maybe six. You know, I've got to get up er- early. I have to because it's just part of what I do. I feel like I miss mm. an important part of the day if I'm not getting up early. I, I wouldn't say I'm the greatest sleeper right uh i dream a lot i i'm subject dreaming yeah not lucid dreaming but i'm you know very often my wife will have to wake me up because i'm (laughs) shouting or screaming or talking i'm quite prone to to nightmares okay um there's probably a lot to deal with there if you were to scratch the surface and and look at why but i have really no interest in why Just looking or at those drawings again yeah there. well that so, this yeah, is this yeah. is yeah, you yeah. know i've no intention of trying to find out why yeah, yeah. why that is That's i okay. assume it's a stress thing i assume it's to do with you know worrying you know there is an element of that this part of you you know when you run your own business and when you're trying to generate your own income that thinks god damn it i'd love to go out of this house at eight o'clock every morning sit down at a desk at nine come home at five uh you know leave at five be home at six and I know how much money I'm going to make every month. I know mm. that, like, I can plan around that. Mm. You know, there, there's part of you that's that would that craves that that security, that stability. Right. But at the same time, you don't then have the creativity, and yeah. you don't have the outlet, and you you would. I know I would just go bananas yeah. doing that. But there is part of you that's slightly envious of people who who. Who, it's not that you're scratching a living or it's not that you're but you're always mm. looking for things and there is a pressure you know there's sure. a pressure on that and everybody you know who writes for Arsblog I, I pay them mm. you know so you're 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 conscious of that and you've got to pay your own wages and you've got a mortgage and mm. you know there are those things so I guess it's all tied into that but I you know at the same time uh, I, I sometimes feel that if you if you were to go down the road of of looking into it, it might become a bigger problem for you, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. We won't go there. I don't want to turn into a counselling session. No, um, thanks. A couple of funny ones, well, hopefully funny, but uh, so 
if you had 24 hours to write a screenplay, what would it be about? Or a movie script? You have 24 hours. What would it, what first come into your mind there? If I had 24 hours. That it's going to be... Is, is this life or death? I have to produce something in 24 yeah, yeah, let's hours? let's make it life or death. Yeah, why not? More, more, uh, more fun then. I guess it would probably be something meta about a guy who only had 12 hours to write a screenplay. <laughs> or, you, or you, you, gave him, you gave him the, yeah, the challenge and he yeah, wrote it exactly. for you. Exactly, and then he gave it to somebody else. So it would be like that, what's that movie? Intro of... Uh, Interstellar? No, no. That, I hate that film. Oh, God. God damn, I sorry, hate that sorry, film. No, the one where with Leonardo DiCaprio and oh, he's a spin and top. Introspection? In, 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 Inception. Or? Inception. Inception, I love that's that That's what one. it is. You don't like that one? Uh, no, it's all right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it might be something like that. Okay. But it would probably be end up. It would probably be some kind of surreal comedy, uh, because I find that for the most part, my my writing, you know, I can be serious when I need to be serious. But if I'm let free and let write whatever the hell it is that I want, it tends to be surreal and hopefully funny. And you know, um, okay. <clears throat> I think the, uh, you know, my favorite. My favorite books tend to be like that. I always love Tom Sharp's books. You know, they're like deeply satirical, but mm. like hilariously, bizarrely funny. The Third Policeman, uh, you know, is another huge favorite. So, so that's kind of where my mind goes first and foremost is to try and is to try and make a joke mm. uh, of some kind. So interesting. Have you ever done meditation or mindfulness or anything along those lines no. too? No. no. <laughs> I kind of figured I'd know the answer to that one, but it's one I like to ask because uh, no. a lot of people are into that these no, days. No, you know too. what? I, 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 I'm absolutely convinced that I'm as busy as I am and I do, like, you know, that, that, the, the doodling, I think it is it to is. stop myself thinking about other things. Not that mm. I've, not, I, like, I don't have any big problems. I don't want to, like, uh, to think I've got... Uh, massive issues or I'm trying to hide something I just feel yeah. like my life is better if I don't think about what it is that I'm doing or I don't think about you know sometimes you wake up at four in the morning and you get into this kind of oh, I can't get back to sleep and you start thinking about things and it is absolutely worst case scenario mm. because it's the dead of night because you're tired because you, you know you're going oh god you know and then you wake up in cold light of day it's actually not as bad as you think it's going to be yeah. and i feel like if i start becoming that introspective if i'm not distracted mm. if i'm not doing something then uh, uh my mind could collapse in on itself like some kind of vortex uh, and I don't want to be interstellar wanna, coming back into yeah, play again. There, I, so. I don't want to be around when that happens. Uh, like I would say, though, I think your writing, and I'm not trying to prescribe things, but that is a form of meditation, right? And being in the moment and being present, and that's your probably probably your outlet in sure. lots of ways. But um, but it's just interesting different perspectives. Okay, I've skirted around it enough. I'm going to dive into a few Arsenal questions. Okay, favorite Arsenal memory. Favorite Arsenal memory. Um, God, I mean, it, it's sort of like so the, long ago the, since there was one. No, no not really. I mean, look, the, the there are things that that stick in your mind, and the '79 FA Cup final is is one of them because I think it taught me a lot about football that it looked comfortable for Arsenal and then United got two goals in the last couple of minutes and you're going, oh my God, are we going to lose this? And then you're elated again very quickly because we scored and, and it's 3-2. And then I remember the next year losing to West, West, West Ham, Ham. Brooking. in the, Trevor Brooking's 
stooping header. I've, I've always hated the phrase stooping header since mm. because you're thinking it was Arsenal and they were a second division team and yeah. we lost that final and then a few days later we lost the Cup Winners' Cup final on penalties to, to Valencia, I think it was. It was either to Valencia or in Valencia. I think it was to Valencia. Mm. And <clears throat> I think that gives you a balanced outlook on, on football. Um, but the first time I ever witnessed Arsenal win a trophy in person was 2014. Okay. Was the, 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 cup, final. the cup final against Hull. And that was... That was absolutely classic Arsenal. 2-0 down. Could have been 3-0 down. In 10 minutes. Uh, or so, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then we come back and win it in injury uh, extra, extra time, time and almost throw it away right at the end. And just the relief of that and, and having gone so long without a trophy, that, that was amazing. But, of course, you look at the teams, you know, when you watch them win the, the title at Old Trafford and you watch them win uh, the title at White Hart Lane going unbeaten for that season was, was amazing. And I'm, you know... In hindsight, and I'm sure I'm not alone here, I think a lot of people would look back on that period, that period where we had that team with Perez and Bergkamp and Henri, and that season where we went unbeaten, would like to look back on it and, and think that maybe they should have enjoyed it a little bit more mm. or just cherished it a little bit more because it was so amazing and so unique. Mm. that I won't say we took it for granted, but... But we were we were we were challenging all the time. Then we were like it was only mm. the top two, really. Arsenal and Manchester United were the two teams, and mm. it was a like a golden period for Arsenal Football Club. And uh, mm. I think in some ways it, it, it informs some of the angst that that exists at this moment in time. That people are it is like like chasing the dragon in mm. a way. Your first heroin shot, and everyone's <laughs> not that I've done that, but you know, people always say you're you're always after that first that first hit again, and mm. I think that's yeah that okay interesting worst lowest point walking through the streets of Paris oh. in two thousand and six uh, in the pissing rain with my friend Chris. Uh, who lived in Barcelona. Uh, I think he was living in Madrid at the time, but we met in Barcelona. Utterly lost in the pissing rain. Not a, not a taxi driver would stop for us trying to find our hotel oh. after losing the, the Champions League final to, to Barcelona, which was compounded by the fact that I was living in Barcelona at the time. Okay. And I had to travel back from Paris to Barcelona the next day by train in a carriage full of Barcelona fans who took great delight in uh, singing songs at me and pointing and laughing because, fuck them, I was going to wear my Arsenal shirt. I was proud okay. of us that night. We came very close. Mm. Uh, it was heartbreaking not to win it. And I wasn't going to, like, hide away. Uh, but it wasn't, the, it wasn't the most pleasant train journey of my life. Yeah, I still... Uh, Lundberg and Henri had a really... Amazing chances to go two nil. Henri, Henri yeah. certainly did. Yeah, the the sort of chance that normally he would have, he would have put away. Um, yeah, let's yeah. move on. Sorry, it's, it's get, too soon. Get dark. Too um, soon. Favorite player, uh, and I, I, I'm presuming if we exclude Robert Perez, um, who else? Who would be the one that sticks out? Well, Liam Brady was always a hero. Um, 
he was always a hero when I was growing up, but he wasn't a player that I saw a great deal of, you know, because it was the 70s, football wasn't on the television, so you had cup finals. I remember being heartbroken when he left, but Robert Perez, I think, is is my favorite ever Arsenal player. And then I have these really strange, weird attachments to to players that very few other people seem to like. Like, I mean, I love Bergkamp and I loved Henri and I love Vieira, of course, because they're such fantastic players. But you you sort of have little soft spots for players that, that don't make a lot of sense. Mm. Uh, so Edu, mm. Philippe yeah. Senderos. Really? Yeah, loved Philippe Senderos. Uh, I thought he had the potential to become a really great center half and it just didn't, yeah. didn't work out for him. Um, what went wrong there? You know, there are so many things. I remember watching his Champions League debut against Bayern Munich, and he was absolutely brilliant. Mm. He was so good. And, uh, you know, he was a player that they had really high hopes for at Arsenal, you know. And, you know, sometimes confidence takes a knock and you lose the crowd a little bit. I mean, I love Per Mertesacker as well, you know, a player that gets a bit of stick. But uh, for me, a big favorite. I think uh, I like him a lot as a player. I think he's very underrated. But also, I just think as a man, as a person, Mm. he's, he's fantastic, a great character. So, yeah, those guys. What about on the flip side there, the the least favorite <laughs> that sticks out? Um, there are a few. I think as, I, as I've matured and grown older, I've been much more able to compartmentalize that without it becoming like, oh my God, I can't stand that mm. guy. But, um, you know, William Gallas was, was definitely not a favorite. But that was um, more of a personality, I suppose, was it, than actual on the pitch? Yeah. 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 Um, uh, Mikael Silvestre. Mm. You know, they've always been poor players down the years, but you can forgive a poor player if he gives, you know, 100%. You know, that's that's the thing. Fans will always forgive the the guy who, who gives 100%. And it's the guys who maybe don't do that, who aren't, you know, who, who have this fantastic opportunity, but who don't take it. Mm. who don't try and fulfill their talent, um, th- those are the ones that can be most frustrating. Mm. What would be an Arsenal kit that sticks out as your favourite? 1979 Cup Final, yellow and blue. It's just visceral. It's it's in my mind. Do you have a, a version, a replica? Uh, I do at home somewhere, yeah. But I just think, you know, it always frustrates me when they do something weird with the Arsenal away kit. Mm. like purple and black stripes and you're going Jesus Christ just give us yellow and blue it's classic it's timeless it's brilliant so that one yeah that's that's always my favorite and what one sticks out as the worst one jump into mind uh there was a blue kit in about 94 maybe David Hillier, Ian Selly genre? Yeah, it could have been around that time when I remember we were wearing it when remember when Robbie Fowler scored a hat trick in three minutes? Mm-hmm. That kit. Okay. Was that, was that around the time we had the uh, the stripey socks as well? I love the stripey Did socks. Like the stripey? Yeah, I love the, 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 the hoops. The hoop yeah, socks. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love them. I had a pair for years and they just got worn out and uh, I'd love another pair of those. <laughs> Uh, so we'll just go to Wenger then. So at this point, what's your what's your take? What do you think is going to happen? Do you think he's going to go at the end of the season? Do you think he might stay for another two and bring in a director of football, groom somebody, 
all of the above. You know what? I you know at this point anything could happen. We're sitting here and what, what is it? February twenty fourth, and Arsenal's next two games are are Liverpool and Bayern Munich. If they don't win either of those, you know, every game we don't win now is going to be an absolute firestorm. Mm. So, you know, there are big games between now and the end of the season where we've got uh, Tottenham away, Manchester United at, you know, Manchester United at home, Manchester City at home, Liverpool away, Mm. um, potentially Tottenham, Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea in the FA Cup. Mm. You know, so it's all dependent on results. And there just becomes less and less, I won't say tolerance, but every time there is a bad result or a bad performance, the weight of pressure increases. So I, you know, I I, I just really don't know. I don't think the club is set up for a change. I don't think they're planning for a change. I don't think they want to change. But it may be a case that if results aren't good enough, the, the, the pressure from outside will be so great that they have to have a change. Yeah. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, ideally, I think maybe, I, I, I sort of go between Arsene Wenger knowing it's time that maybe he should go and him just not being ready to go and wanting to stay another two years. But he won't mm. be able to stay unless his team can produce results mm. between now and the end of the season and, and win some big games. Beat Tottenham away, beat Manchester United under Mourinho, beat Manchester City. Mm. Don't get humiliated against Bayern Munich. Those are the things that he's got to prove this team can do in the last two months, two or three months of the season. If not, I, you know, I, I just can't, I can't see that there's any other way. Mm. My God is screaming at me though to say, like, what is going to change really in the next two months that hasn't happened in the last six months? Yeah, yeah, you know the. Yeah the tactical change that I don't know obviously that's probably just going off topic but it, it just yeah. feels like mm, yeah who who could or would be a good replacement if I don't know I don't, genuinely yeah, I don't know don't I'll be completely opinion. upfront about that with you mm. I, I don't know and f- frankly I don't care mm. I you know it's not one of those things I'm not invested in who is going to be the next manager I'll see who it is if and when that mm. happens mm. and then then deal with it like it's not going to be Alan Pardew let you know we're not going down that road Ranieri's looking for a job as yeah well, exactly so. but you know it's not going to be him but, either but you know I'm not I can't champion somebody sure. because I, I I the job is so huge and you know I do wonder if the the if good managers are going to want to be the first guy after Arsene Wenger. Mm. But do you think in whoever comes in, the level of expectation will will drop? And, you know, immediately? No, no because you know what I think? I think there are, there's a, a large, maybe not large. Okay, I'll, I'll withdraw that. I think there is a section of the Arsenal fan base who believe that as soon as Arsene Wenger goes and a new manager comes in, that is going to be the difference between winning the title and not winning the title. They don't see anything other than it getting better with a new manager. So, whereas they clearly might be just the opposite. And we Mm. saw at Manchester United what happened under Ferguson that, you know, when you, when you remove a guy who's so embedded in the club that the, 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 the shockwaves reverberate and it can take some time To 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 steady that and look what United have done. They've brought in a serial. As much as I hate him, mm. Mourinho is a serial winner. Mm. 
of a manager. They've given him 150 or 200 million pounds to spend on a squad that's already had an investment of 300 million pounds since Ferguson has left. And they're, at, at the time of speaking, they're sixth. Mm. That's the reality. Mm. So when it comes to the future, you can be excited by the idea of something different, but I think you have to be aware that it could be, could be, could be something different and not necessarily better. Mm. Cool. That's fair. I'm going to wrap it up with just a couple of other kind of uh, interest angled questions. Mm. If uh, if you were to, and I'm probably stealing questions from other podcasts, which is which is okay. If you were to recommend uh, a book that somebody should read to potentially make themselves feel better or is there kind of productivity improvements or hacks that they can apply anything that jump into mind uh i don't read any books like that okay i don't read any self-help books or business books or strategy books or or anything like that i would what book would i recommend somebody read the choir boys by joseph wambo okay it's a crime novel set in l.a Back in the 70s, it's completely un-PC at this moment in time. Uh, you know, it's very much of its era, but it's just a brilliant book. Okay. Interesting. Something I haven't heard of, but something to go on the list. Yeah. Um, to, to Just to kind of finally wrap it up, would you consider yourself successful? And if so, what are the ingredients that have made you successful? I suppose, yeah. I was hoping I ne- to say I, yes. I, I never, never, never thought about it because I, I just do what I do. But you know, obviously, we've got a big readership, a big listenership. We're able to do things like books. We're able to do live events and live podcasts, and three hundred people will come and buy a ticket to listen to us chat about Arsenal. So, mm-hmm. you know, in 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 the very uh, small niche that we're in. That's that's pretty good. Absolutely. What would be the ingredients of that? Uh, hard work, mm-hmm. dedication, frequency, um, producing things on a regular basis, uh, being open to trying things, being willing to try things, um, and and just simply putting in the hours. Um, I suppose some of it will will come down to whether, you know, you could be, you know, I, I could put in hundreds and hundreds of hours, but I'm never going to be the best singer in the world. So I guess there's an element of of ability or talent or whatever in there as well. But mm. I, I would just say to people, there are no, <clears throat> there are no shortcuts. Mm-hmm. I don't, in my experience anyway, maybe there are. There are people who give you the life hacks and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Maybe they've got a way of doing it, but I don't. Okay. And my way of doing it is just getting up every morning and working as hard as I can and trying to be as, as good as I can and trying to provide to people websites and content and podcasts that are as good as I can make them. Mm. And that's that's the bottom line for me is that try and set a standard and try and maintain those standards and improve those standards. Perfect. Good ending. Glad to get you to reflect a little bit on your success, which I think uh, the numbers, if you if you measure success against 
listenership and readership you know that's certainly a good metric to go by so uh, andrew that's been amazing i think we've gone over an hour i really appreciate your time time flies when you're having fun i guess sure and hopefully i'll have uh, some good feedback from this one i've certainly shared that with you Do, uh, yeah uh, thanks again my pleasure thank you Hey folks, so if you're at this point, it means you got to the end of one of my episodes. Thank you for listening. It's uh, it's great that you took the time to do so and I hope you got something out of it. So I'm just going to wrap it up with a shout out for feedback. As you know, the show is pretty new and it's just growing, evolving and your feedback is really important to me as I try and improve the show, make it 1% better. So please Get in touch with feedback, with questions that you may like me to put to guests in the future. Do you have a guest in mind that would be uh, really interesting to have on the show? Please let me know. Are there things that I could improve on? Are there things that are working? And are there things that are not working? Even more so important. I'd love to hear about it. I'm very open to feedback. So do please take a couple of minutes to get in touch. How can you do this? You can email me rob at robofthegreen.ie the comments section on the website go there that's www.robofthegreen.ie and there's a feedback page i'm on twitter the handle is at robofthegreen i'm on instagram robofthegreen facebook there's a page called robofthegreen and if you're in Cork and see me out and about please feel free to give me feedback verbally ideally positive or constructive if it's of a violent or negative nature, either mental or physical, please refrain from from that. I don't think that would uh, would be good. But um, all the other stuff, I'm I'm very open to. And the show is on iTunes and Stitcher, so it'd be great if you subscribe there, so you'll constantly get updated episodes when I roll them out. So look, that's it. Thanks again for listening. I hope you have a great day and implement some of the learnings in your everyday lives. Thanks so much. Bye.